This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Thursday afternoon, August 4th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. A long-running daytime drama is moving from network TV to the streaming world. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, high-growth stocks and cryptocurrencies have had a very rough year, but things have turned around as of late. Joining us with an update is Bill Uliveri, owner of Seneca Capital Management in Glenview, the website SenecaCapital.com. Bill, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Uh, The stock market in general has uh, really taken it on the chin in the first half of 2022, and no sector uh, seemed to have uh, taken uh, more lumps than the cryptocurrency space in the first six months of this year. But some areas of crypto are making a comeback, and one in particular is doing so in a big way. What is behind the turnaround at Coinbase? Well, Coinbase, Rob, just like all the other cryptocurrencies, suffered from a lot of, um, you know, post-IPO selling. Uh, It suffered along with the highs in the technology as an asset class and and growth. Uh, It's suffered from some bad news on the regulatory side uh, with the SEC seems to have it in its rifle scope of, you know, is is Coinbase offering securities uh, illegally? And so we had this horrible, horrible news, but things are turning around. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin uh, in the last seven days is up 3%, up 18% in the last month. Coinbase is up 65%, not including today's positive 15% move because they've just forged a relationship with BlackRock. BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager. I mean, they have about $10 trillion of assets under management. It's bigger than Schwab. It's bigger than Vanguard. And so any kind of institutional investment manager, um, anybody who any big institutional firm will be using Coinbase's prime brokerage, their custody, their reporting, their risk management tools. So today's uh, today's news announcement is, is a huge, huge plus for Coinbase. And again, all cryptocurrencies have done really well, just like a lot of the technology stocks have, Rob. Does this have the potential to be a leading economic indicator because investors are once again cycling out of value and into growth? I don't know if it's a leading economic indicator. I wouldn't put it that way. I would say that, again, if you take every stock in the S&P 500 or Russell 2000 or, you know, in the entire universe, and you you just break it down into two bins, value or growth, Coinbase and NASDAQ 100 and Netflix and all the other technology all fall into the growth component. So I think watching the growth value relationship um, is really important. And it's something that investment managers like myself have really been doing for years. So I think we're just, we're not surprised by this move, although today's announcement is incredibly good news for people who are pro Coinbase. They've got like 29 different silos of profitability. And yes, it's new. They just IPO'd last year in April of 2021. 
Um, but we're all very, when I say we, I mean me, <laughs> uh, very, very optimistic on the future of this nascent technology. You know, and it's like the Internet in 1995. With uh, BlackRock teaming up with Coinbase, what type of message does that send about the uh, legitimacy of cryptocurrency, especially to people who might be skittish about the space after hearing all of the bad stories, uh, the sad stories, the horror stories about uh, some coins going belly up this year? Well, Rob, I can only speak from from my position as an investment advisor, and that is cryptocurrency is here to stay. Blockchain is here to stay. Institutional investors, the biggest on the globe, BlackRock, is forging relationships. So asset managers, institutional investors are all moving into this space, and they're not doing it by buying, uh, you know, these little tokens on, on, you know, from an Instagram account, or they're not, you know what I mean? They're not, they're not, they're following the big picture and the tokens that have really good projects. And they're not doing it the way most people lose money um, you know, on, on, on the other side. So I'm not trying to say that every institutional investor is gonna have a profitable cryptocurrency position. I'm just saying that there's a certain way you need to have it aggregated into your overall view. Make sure you don't take custody of it, right? Because you, most asset managers do not take pure custody of the assets. And you need to have a reliable, trustworthy platform to do that. And Coinbase is the number one place to do that. Bill Uliveri, owner of Senecal Capital Management and Glenview, the website SenecalCapital.com. Conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. You know, it's the noon hour. Uh, let's uh, turn this music down and uh, let's catch up on our stories, shall we? Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. The daytime drama Days of Our Lives, which has been broadcast on NBC since 1965, will shift to the Peacock streaming service. Let's discuss this move with Tom Lason, media analyst uh, based in Seattle, on Twitter at Tom Lason. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Uh, on Twitter last night, when I saw the uh, news cross uh, from NBC and various uh, entertainment journalist sources, uh, I thought, well, this is this is the beginning of the end of Days of Our Lives. It'll be hustled off the network, and then where it will quietly disappear on a streaming service in a year or two. Because I just, it just brought back memories of what happened to all my children. Uh, when ABC hustled that off the network 11 years ago, it went to Hulu and then it disappeared. But Peacock says Days of Our Lives has a rather robust streaming audience. Oh, yeah. You know, Rob, it's a different environment than it was 11 years ago. Over the top is reality now. And, uh, you know, who knew the folks, uh, the residents of Salem were so hip? But um, you mentioned it's you mentioned it's been on the air for 57 years and um, with 14,000 episodes. And I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, Days and possibly even General Hospital, Young and Restless, Bold and Beautiful, the last three remaining on broadcast television. This might give them another 57 years. It might give them new life. NBC says it has an audience waiting on Peacock and they've primed it by putting past episodes and several spinoffs over there on Peacock. So starting on September 12th, that daily show on the broadcast side is going to move over to the streaming service. And, uh, you know, I think it could could breathe new life in, into this franchise. And if you're wondering what's going to be on television, it's going to be a news program called NBC News Daily. And it really kind of, I think, sets the stage here for the broadcast side being sort of right now and the streaming side as being a reservoir a bit of back when 
where folks can go dive in and uh, watch these stories from many years ago. Now, does this mean, is the entire Days of Our Lives archive going over to Peacock? So if you wanted to uh, catch up on the uh, Salem Strangler plotline from uh, 40 years ago, you could do so right now? I am not sure about that, but if they were to put 14,000 episodes on there, they'd probably have to build a new server farm somewhere. Um, you know, there is, I think your point's well taken, though. There is a lot of, you know, in quotes here, space on the streaming platforms um, once they build an audience. So it really seems kind of like broadcast is doing just that, kind of uh, netting a starting audience, engaging a show's viability, and then bumping that to the OTT platform after it's been seeded. And this is happening along with, with a lot of current shows, too, not just not just archival versions of soap operas. So you're seeing this sort of seeding and start on the broadcast side, building an audience, moving it over to streaming. And then, of course, the challenges to accurately measure ROI against production costs. That's the real key to this model, and that is an emerging science. Now, now I understand why uh, the networks have basically uh, given up on daytime programming and the affiliates want to pocket all of that advertising revenue for themselves. But what are today's kids going to do? What are they going to watch when they're homesick from school or perhaps uh, uh, at their grandparents' house during the summer? What are they going to watch? Because when I was a kid, it was the soap operas and game shows, and they're all gone. Oh, Rob, these kids these days. Well, let me tell you, first of all, the kids aren't watching TV at all. So just just to relieve you of any apprehension you have about that, they're watching TikTok, they're online, they're watching their phones. Now, at Grandma and Grandpa's house, do they still have to sit down and watch Lawrence Welk? Uh, Very possibly, because Grandma and Grandpa are the only ones watching linear TV. So, um, again, I understand the humor in your question there, but it does make a point of this real divergence between younger and older audiences. Tom Lason, media analyst based in Seattle. Find him on Twitter, at Tom Lason. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, a new vision for Chicago's Magnificent Mile. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Chicago's North Michigan Avenue shopping district has been dealing with the loss of retailers and an increase in crime in recent years. Let's discuss the future of the Magnificent Mile, including one of its completely vacant buildings with Albie Galoon, senior reporter, Crane Chicago Business. Albie, thanks for joining us today. Uh, if you came up to, if I went up to you in uh, 2009 or 2008 and said, uh, one day a, a building that is across the street, a retail building from the Hancock uh, Plaza, would be completely empty and struggling to find tenants, what would you have said? Well, it would have been hard to believe back then, absolutely. But, you know, that was before the Internet. Well, that was before e-commerce really took off. And it was also before a devastating pandemic that really hurt a lot of retailers. And also before the recent um, rise in crime in the neighborhood. So all those things have combined to make things difficult for retailers and retail landlords on the Magnificent Mile. 
It seems like of the three uh, major shocks that you mentioned, two of them can be fixed and one has already been fixed. I mean, obviously, vaccines and therapeutics have made COVID-19 manageable. Uh, Crime can uh, for sure be fixed uh, via a variety of policing strategies or societal changes. But the retail landscape, the things that made the Magnificent Mile unique, you know, a trip downtown to Nike Town or the Disney Store used to be an event. That's not the case anymore. And uh, how can the retail side of North Michigan Avenue be fixed or do you have to or would you just or do you have to rip tear everything down and start over um yeah that's absolutely right I, you know I don't think you have to tear down everything and start all over but I do think there are spots where um you have these empty uh maybe three or four story retail buildings that could be redeveloped into something else maybe you could put a high rise in some of these spots and you know, if you're a if you are a landlord, if you own one of these buildings, it's completely vacant, and you're trying to figure out your next move. You know, you can sell it to a developer, and maybe a developer would pay more for the building than to, and more for the opportunity to tear it down and build something tall there than some um, investor would pay just to keep it as a retail property. So there's been some discussion of that happening. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see three, four, maybe five of these low rise retail buildings be, um, torn down and turned into something else, a high rise with maybe retail at the base. And that's just the way real estate works. You know, developers, they want to maximize the value of the property and sometimes going vertical is the best way to do that. Albie Galoon, senior reporter with Crane Chicago Business. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Technology Thursday, a look at the top gadgets for back to school. This is Chicago's news, traffic, and weather station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. American basketball star Brittany Griner is found guilty of drug charges in Russia and sentenced to prison. Former Louisville police officers face federal charges in the killing of Breonna Taylor. Technology Thursday as back to school shopping heats up. We look at the best in electronics and gadgets. Millions of consumers have been impacted by the release of incorrect credit scores. WBBM Business, the markets are mixed. The Dow is down 78 points. The NASDAQ is up 34. The S&P 500 is down two and a quarter. AccuWeather says intervals of clouds and sunshine today, cooler, less humid. Could see a couple of showers south and east of the city this afternoon. A high of 83 inland, mid-70s along the lakefront. 82 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour, basketball star Brittany Griner has been dealt a nine-year prison sentence after being found guilty of drug possession charges by a judge in Moscow. Griner told the court she had no intention of breaking the law by bringing vape cartridges with cannabis oil to Moscow in February. I made an honest mistake. And she's sorry. I've never meant to hurt anybody. Saying the Russian city where she's played the last last six and a half years has become her second home. And I hope that in your ruling that it doesn't end my life here. Sagar Magani, Washington. The Justice Department has charged four Louisville police officers involved in the deadly Breonna Taylor raid with civil rights violations. This is Attorney General Merrick Garland. The federal charges announced today allege that members of the place-based investigations unit falsified the affidavit used to obtain the search warrant of Ms. Taylor's home. 
that this act violated federal civil rights laws and that those violations resulted in Ms. Taylor's death. Garland went on to say that Taylor should be alive today. It's 12.32. The noon business hour continues, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are trading mixed this afternoon. Joining us with the latest on what's moving Wall Street is Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with Smart Portfolios based in San Diego. The website is macrotides.com. Jim, thanks for joining us today. Is this uh, simply a case of uh, the market it's taking a breather before tomorrow's jobs report? Uh, absolutely. And what continues to sustain the market, Rob, is the belief that the Federal Reserve is not going to raise rates as aggressively as uh, numerous FOMC members have indicated the last two days. So the story on Wall Street is that the Fed's going to hike rates a little bit more and then start cutting them next year. I think that's highly unlikely, but as long as Wall Street believes it, there's going to be a bid under the market. I mean, there are plenty of signs that the uh, job market is uh, slowing down just a little bit, but by historic standards, uh, hiring is still very robust. It's a great time to get a job, even if you do find yourself in the unfortunate position of being laid off. What is the street expecting for tomorrow? Uh, about 250, 260,000 jobs, which obviously would be a downshift from uh, last month's, which I think was 370, something like that. Which is still, like, the historically speaking, 250,000 jobs. If that happened in, let's say, 2011, uh, that would be a phenomenal number. But uh, to, to in, in 2022, it's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, it, well, again, uh, this is one of the reasons why I think the street has it wrong. Powell last week kind of drew reference to it. Uh, in the first half of this year, I think it's about 2.5 million jobs were created so you don't get that kind of job creation in a recession. And I think Wall Street, again, has concluded that two consecutive quarters means we're in a recession. FOMC members don't agree with that, Rob, and that means their policy uh, outlook is going to be shaped by the strength of the labor market, not what Wall Street thinks. So if the Labor Department comes in tomorrow morning at 7.30 Chicago time with a number that is well above expectations, does that mean there's going to be another sell-off because there, that, that means the interest rate uh, hiking cycle is going to continue? And conversely, if it's below expectations, does that mean that uh, there's going to be a lot of buying tomorrow because uh, maybe the, the Fed might uh, back off? Yeah, I think you framed it well. But again, uh, I don't think the Fed is going to move that quickly in response to what's happening. What I can tell you from a technical standpoint, Rob, is that I think the S&P is nearing a high uh, in, soon, if not today, then tomorrow, whatever. And uh, the pullback towards 3900 is likely in the next few weeks as Wall Street, I think, starts to deal with you know, the messaging that the Fed has been making. There's been a lot of encouraging news, especially this week on the inflation front. I mean, just looking at the uh, oil markets and the gasoline futures markets, uh, oil, the WTI trading below $90 a barrel for the first time uh, since Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, the gasoline futures market, the price uh, basically back where it was at the end of February. Uh, there are signs that the uh, speculators have uh, left the commodities markets, so the price of uh, grain and soy and corn all uh, crashing back to earth. Um, does that mean that we could see a lot of uh, uh, inflationary pressures uh, disappear sooner rather than later? 
there's definitely going to be an easing of inflation. A couple points I would make is that going from 9% to 6% is probably going to be relatively easy and quick. But the problem is the Fed has a 2% inflation target. It's going to take time. Lastly, in the August macro tides, I went through the charts of grains and oil and so forth, uh, Rob, 20-year charts. Everyone that had broken out last year, all they've done is come back to that breakout line. So oil for instance, would have to get below $86 to violate that breakout. So I think there's a, a risk that people are overreacting to the decline in commodities. Yes, it will be helpful to, in terms of bringing inflation down, but I don't think the die has been cast that the move up is done. It's very interesting you mentioned that uh, $86 target because right now it's uh, 87 88 per barrel. You might see that later today or at the very least uh, before the end of the day tomorrow. Yeah, it's possible. And you're going to need more than a one-day close below 86. A weekly close would be a little bit more emphatic. I want to see what kind of a rebound you get. But the main thing is, Rob, people are assuming that inflation problem is behind us. That might be true if inflation was at 4%. At 9%, it's just going to, be a, it's going to take longer for that to truly unwind. And that's why the Fed has indicated, yeah, we're going to keep raising rates, and then we're going to keep them higher for longer. Um, and I don't think the market has fully priced that yet in. Jim Welsh, macro strategist and portfolio manager with Smart Portfolios in San Diego, the website macrotides.com. Up next in Technology Thursday, top electronics and gadgets for back to school. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Technology Thursday, and we're in the midst of the back to school shopping season. Let's get some ideas in the area of electronics and gadgets from Jennifer Jolly, Tech Life columnist for USA Today and founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com based in San Francisco. Jennifer, thanks for joining us. Time was, if you want to look really cool when you're going back to school, and maybe you got a trapper keeper, a family ties a lunchbox, a three-CD changer, that uh, John Belushi college sweatshirt poster, and you are good to go. Uh, what's, what, what is the... <laughs> What what's a must You're have? Yourself yeah, I know. Right I, I mean, it's. But I love it so it, much. It's yeah. it's it's very <laughs> funny to me as someone who grew up at a time when a, a cell phone or a computer seemed like an insane luxury, and uh, the most uh, the highest tech piece of equipment you had was a a TI eighty four graphing calculator, and then you see you know it's tablets, it's laptops, it's smartphones, it's smart watches, and that stuff you have to have when you go back to school. Right. It's necessary. You can't live without it. And your eight-year-old wants it, which is, let me just tell you, parents everywhere, breathe a sigh of relief because your eight-year-old does not need a $1,000-plus gadget. Don't do it. Don't buckle to the pressure. Uh, the younger kids, I'd say 12 and under, stick with, with dumb tech. So you still want to keep in touch with them. VTech has a, a great little very light phone that will just let you send text messages back and forth with your youngster. It's, it's really uh, ages three to nine. You can text with a, a specific group of people. Uh, just don't buy into the hype and the marketing that you have to have the newest, latest, greatest, because last year's or even three-year-ago tech will be just fine, and it will cost a whole lot less. For uh, people who are going back to school or maybe uh, entering their freshman year of college, what's a real good, uh, cool gadget to uh, have for your dorm room this year? Well, my daughter's going into her senior year of college. And so those, those kids, they do need, they need that laptop, not just a Chromebook anymore, but they need a laptop. 
that can keep up with their really busy lives. You can find some great deals right now, especially if you use your .edu or your any kind of college um, uh, sign-in or login to buy it. You know, any kind of proof that you're in college, you can get some great school discounts. But there's some great new laptops out from Lenovo. Samsung, HP, Asus, Acer, you know, look for that one. And I I give people a lot of uh, advice on this. Look for the one that's going to last five years, you know, overall, but also will last all day on one battery charge. And then the other thing, think about portable battery chargers for all the gadgets, because that's really what we all deal with, whether it's smartphones, tablets, laptops, running out of juice midway through your day ruins your day. So that's another really great piece of tech for them. I know you're supposed to uh, work hard, hit the books and study, but uh, how do you watch your shows uh, when you're in a college dorm room these days? (laughs) Uh, Do you do it on a tablet or do you do it on your phone or do you bring a smart TV? And if so, what's a, a really good kind of model to bring with you? Most kids watch television on their smartphones. That is what they're doing in college. That's what they're doing in high school. So for that, you will need a a little maybe beefier headset or not headset, but handset. Um, Tablets work fabulous for that. And there are a lot of even screens that you can maybe attach a portable keyboard to um, that aren't, you know, much over $100 so that you can watch your content and stream your content, but do it without breaking the bank. And once again, uh, your message for uh, eight-year-olds who may be listening that you do not need a uh, $1,000 tablet to go to second grade? Absolutely not. In fact, I really tell parents just absolutely don't do it. When and if you do get them that first smartphone, make sure you're using some kind of family software like Custodio or Bark or something that lets you put some limits on what they're doing and lets you kind of watch what they're doing, not spy on them, but just make sure they're staying safe in this in this kind of wild world still of everything internet access. And once again, uh, if you're a parent and uh, your child is asking for that type of tablet at the store later today, you should know the Odyssey app has a pause and rewind function where you can go back to this segment and play it for them uh, to know that uh, an expert, <laughs> Jennifer Jolly, says you don't need it. So, uh, Jennifer, mm-hmm. thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for joining us this afternoon. Jennifer Jolly, thanks. Tech Life columnist for USA Today, founder and editor-in-chief of Techish.com, based in San Francisco. Your daily transaction for useful information. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Credit score provider Equifax sent lenders incorrect credit scores for millions of consumers this spring. Let's discuss the impact with Bill Hardikoff, senior industry analyst at moneycrashers.com in Birmingham, Alabama. Bill, thanks for joining us today. How do you know you were affected by an incorrect credit score and what can you do to fix it? Well, Rob, thank you for having me. This this is a big problem for a number of consumers. You know, credit scores are so important. They affect so many areas of our lives, like the interest rates that you get on loans, whether you can maybe even rent an apartment and affects your insurance rates. It might even, employers might even check it sometimes. So you need to stay on top of it. Uh, Equifax is one of three credit reporting agencies that uh, provides you your credit score. And uh, Equifax is definitely having some problems. What you could do is, you know, ask your lender if you're about to go in for a loan 
to check the credit scores for you for, from the other two credit reporting agencies, you know, those, those being uh, TransUnion and Experian. And also, there are a number of credit card issuers that provide you your credit score for free on a monthly basis on your, on your credit card statements or on their websites. So you may want to check into both of those. And then uh, very quickly, you know, what was the range of the error, and is it large enough on an average basis to make a uh, major financial difference to someone who was a, a victim of this error? Well, from what reports are saying, it's anywhere, for, it could be from 20 to 25 points. And, you know, for some consumers, that might not make much of a difference. But if you're on the borderline between a fair or good credit score, or maybe even a good to excellent credit score, 20 to 25 points could be a major difference in what interest rate you might be assigned by certain banks. So, Yes, it could be, depending on where your credit score currently falls. Is it uh, was it caught fast enough or early enough uh, to so that you could, uh, as as someone who might have been affected by this, uh, could be made financially whole if you were paying uh, higher interest rates or, or or had some other financial penalty because of this? Well, it's going to be interesting. This these errors occurred between the middle of March and the first couple weeks in April. So it is relatively fresh. Uh, if you hop on this right now, you might be able to uh, make a difference. And I think a lot of lenders are probably going to review the credit scores that you got if they did, in fact, get it from Equifax. Bill Hardikoff, Senior Industry Analyst, MoneyCrashers.com, based in Birmingham, Alabama. Thanks for joining us today. If you missed any part of today's show, you can go to our stream and just skip back to the time you want. There's a pause and rewind function that works both online and with the Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.